Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. On Capitol Hill, it feels like the gap between parties is increasingly wide. But across America, Republicans and Democrats build lives, homes, and families together every day. Today, we're talking about how houses don't have to be divided when you're in a nuanced relationship. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode, everybody. Thank you for those of you who joined us on our um, special bonus episode this month on um, Patreon, which was about home stuff. I feel very confirmed in my choice to keep my double ovens after the conversation with Bryn and Beth. So I'm feeling really good about that. It was a really fun conversation, and you can check it out um, on our Patreon page or support the show if you haven't already. 
I also wanted to tell everybody that there, that was a note from a volunteer, awesome Becky, who's going to help us send out the magnets and stickers to everybody. So if you got an email asking for your address so you could get the notes and stickers, it was legit. Um, just send Becky your address and she's going to try to get those out to everybody. Um, and so t- in today's show, we're going to talk about the Iran deal. Um, a really awesome editorial from Mayan Bialik in the New York Times and then the nuanced relationships and what's on our mind outside of politics this week. So I want to do kind of a quick mini primer on the Iran deal because there's been so much discussion from the White House about this. And I think sometimes we forget what we're actually talking about. So if you've seen the acronym JCPOA, that stands for Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. This agreement was reached in July of 2015 with the P5 plus one. The P5 are the permanent five members of the UN Security Council. That's China, France, Russia, the UK, and the United States. And then the plus one is Germany and the EU. Negotiations started well before 2015. In 2013, an an interim agreement was put into place, and then there were 20 months of additional negotiations before the JCPOA emerged. This was a rare moment of global consensus when this deal came together. Iran was brought to the table because of severe sanctions on its banking industry and oil exports, and a U.S. negotiator who was at the table for this said that Iran literally had to bring additional people to its side of the table so that it wouldn't feel like the whole world versus Iran. But China and Russia actually got on board in putting pressure on Iran to enter into this agreement. So the agreement is not about Iran as an actor in the world in general. It is specifically about nuclear proliferation. Iran agreed to eliminate its stockpile of medium-enriched uranium and reduce its low-enriched uranium stockpile by 98%. It also agreed to reduce its gas centrifuges by about two-thirds for 13 years, and it limits the amount of uranium Iran can enrich over over the next 15 years. There were other provisions like Iran can't construct new heavy water facilities. And probably the most important aspect, at least in my sort of – from my limited perspective, the most important aspect in my estimation – is that this gives inspectors from the International Atomic Energy Agency regular access to Iran's nuclear facilities. In exchange for these concessions from Iran on its nuclear program, there is relief involved from sanctions related to nuclear weapons. So President Obama negotiated this deal as an accord, not as a treaty. So the Senate did not approve it at the time. Instead, on a bipartisan basis, hard to believe, I know, but on a bipartisan basis, the Senate passed legislation called the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act that required President Obama and subsequent presidents to certify that the JCPOA is in America's best interest every 90 days. So President Trump has made that certification, albeit begrudgingly, two times. So now the president is not making that certification. Now, it's important for you to know that the Iranian government has not breached the agreement by anyone's standards. And the Iranian government is not a good guy in the world suddenly. The government is still testing conventional ballistic missiles. It's still fomenting terror and violence in Iraq and Syria. It still unjustly detains Americans, but it hasn't breached the terms of the JCPOA. And Trump isn't saying that Iran has. 
He is saying that there is this provision of the law, the Congressional Review Law, that asks whether lifting sanctions imposed in retaliation for the nuclear program is in America's national security interest and, quote, appropriate and proportionate relative to Iranian measures to draw down the nuclear program. And so the Trump administration is essentially saying, you know, Iran continues to be a bad actor in the world, so it's no longer appropriate and proportionate. Now, Trump not recertifying this agreement does not mean the United States is breaching the agreement, and it doesn't mean the agreement is being ripped apart, as he talked about on the campaign trail. It kicks this issue to Congress, and Congress has several options. Congress could reimpose sanctions on Iran, which would either mean that the JCPOA will continue without the United States or that it will fall apart. Door number two for Congress is doing nothing, which kicks us back to the president until the next certification deadline. And door number three is amending the law requiring certification, which could either just lead to a change in the U.S.'s process around this agreement or could or could lead to renegotiation of the agreement itself. Renegotiating the JCPOA and getting a better outcome seems hugely unlikely at this particular moment in time. So that's sort of the stage that's been set around what the Trump administration is doing. So I think that Donald Trump has defined winning as undoing anything that Obama saw as a success. It doesn't matter whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it helps the American people or not. In his mind, now that I think Hillary Clinton is not his number one opponent and he's the president, that means that Barack Obama is his number one opponent and only by undoing and destroying anything Obama did is he winning. And like I said, whether or not this leads to good outcomes doesn't really matter to him because in his mind, all that matters is tearing apart anything Obama did. And I think this is what this is, is a reflection of that. The conversation around what the outcomes could be here has been a difficult one. So you've heard Rex Tillerson and Nikki Haley saying that the motivation for the administration is not as, as you just suggested, Sarah, but is because we don't want Iran to fester in the way that they view North Korea as having festered over time. The argument on the other side from Democrats like Chris Coons and others is that this will reduce the United States leverage with respect to North Korea because it says that you can't trust the United yep. States and it tells our partners throughout the world that we're unreliable. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, I think the only thing that I can say with any certainty is that the result of this won't be neutral. Yeah. You know, it's it's going to have an effect one way or the other. Well, and they're not wrong. As long as Donald Trump is president, we aren't reliable. You can't trust us. Let's just be honest about that. Thinking about sanctions a lot. So with Iran, you have to make a, a sharp distinction between the Iranian government and the Iranian people. I think that's true in North Korea and and most places, right? I mean, that's right. American citizen right now. Lots of I us would feel. Much like, yes, I <laughs> would very much like to be distinguished from this administration. Yeah. So, so when you think about it that way, and you think about the impact of sanctions, you know, one thing that will almost certainly happen if the United States reimposes sanctions, but the rest of the world doesn't. Maybe even if the rest of the world does, it will have economic impacts far beyond the Iranian government. And filtered down to the Iranian 
Iranian people. And then I think we diminish the hope that the Iranian people will retake control of their government in a healthy and productive way. I think about this with North Korea, too. Are our sanctions ultimately undermining the possibility of a more peaceful world? I know that sanctions have been our our number one diplomatic tool for a long time, but I'm just starting to think, don't we need these countries to economically prosper at the level of their citizens in order to hope for better outcomes? Well, and I see that. I mean, you give the you give the dictators or the regimes bad guys when you enforce sanctions. You make us the bad guy and it and it it is an easy way to sort of prop them up. But then you also look at Russia and when Russia started to succeed economically, Putin came in and took responsibility. And now you have the Russian people with less freedom, but they love him so much because he made the economic sanction or the economic situation better for a lot of people. You know, it's not, I don't think it's always an easy either or situation in which better economics leads to more um, democratic freedom. I think unfortunately that the bad actors can exploit that scenario as well. That's a really good point. I mean, it's very chicken and egg, I guess, because I think almost always throughout history, the conditions giving rise to authoritarian regimes come from impoverished countries. But you're right. Then if you start to turn it around, the authoritarians can take credit for that. It's, it's very difficult. I just, I'm, I'm just questioning, like, what would be the benefit? What's the upside of reinstating sanctions on Iran? And I'm coming up empty. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with this process. Um, It's hard for me to imagine that Congress will coalesce around a solution because it's I don't think the American people understand this issue enough to follow it down any path other than I liked what President Obama did or I didn't like it. Yeah. And and this is another place where you can see maybe even at the time of the Iran agreement, you could have said, I have real problems with this. It's not perfect. I don't think it was done legally, whatever your list might be. But much like the Affordable Care Act, it, it's done. You're not writing on a blank sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. And this is my chief frustration with the president and a lot of Republicans right now, just pretending to approach these issues fresh it, it it ignores all the context and and all of the ramifications that could come from your action you're you're not reevaluating this for the first time well and it just seems like the staff are particularly around the the president i mean they don't it's it's only control um reduce the negative impacts push positive stories so it's not like anybody's going to look at him and say for fear of pissing him off. Um, look, this has this, this, we don't get to start over. This has positive and negatives. It's complicated. You know, like I just don't think that's a conversation happening with Donald Trump. And I do think some of the people around him understand this very well. And I think they're trying to make responsible decisions. I felt a lot of empathy for Rex Tillerson this weekend, trying to talk about this one, because the president continues to embarrass him publicly at every opportunity Two, because I watched him trying to be a good citizen in the way that you think of it in a corporation, right? This is the leader. 
whatever I think about it, I have to be on the bus or not. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to be on the bus. And, and you get from all the reporting a sense that Tillerson remains there out of a sense of duty and a, and a feeling that he is helping stabilize an unstable situation uh, within the administration. And, and I see the I see the perspective that what we've done with North Korea has reduced our leverage over time. I don't think that's a a ridiculous argument. I think it's hard to accept it as reality because of the way the president conducts himself about all of this. But I get it. I mean, I don't think this is an easy question by any stretch. Right. Well, speaking of no easy situations, we want to... move on and talk about women in Hollywood. Um, Maya Bialik wrote an amazing editorial in the New York Times called Being a Feminist in Harvey Weinstein's World um, about Harvey Weinstein's sexual harassment case and about growing up inside um, the movie and entertainment industry that I thought raised some really interesting points. And I think the first thing that I think is so important to to make about all this, and it's sort of the comment we, or conversation we were having about sexual assault earlier, which is you know, making this all about Harvey Weinstein being a bad guy was really not addressing the underlying problem. Yeah, I agree. I thought she this was a difficult read for me because I thought she made some really important points. I thought she did a good job of kind of continually saying, look, uh, this is pervasive in the culture. I also felt that her editorial had elements of I have escaped this because I am not and have not tried to be sort of a bombshell Mm -hmm. in a way that I think could have been hurtful to women who've been involved in these situations and hurtful just in perpetuating kind of our conventional thoughts about beauty and the objectification of women. I mean, did you find it to be complex, Sarah, when you were reading it? Well, yeah, because, I mean, she makes that she specifically talks about um, like sort of being sexy. And she says, you know, I've decided that my sexual self is best reserved for private situations with those I'm most intimate with. I dress modestly. I don't act flirtatiously with men as a policy. I'm entirely aware that these types of choices might feel oppressive to many young feminists. Women should be able to wear what they want. They should be able to flirt with however they want, with whomever they want. Why are we the ones to have to police our behavior? In a perfect world, women should be free to act however they want, but our world isn't perfect. Nothing, absolutely nothing excuses men from assaulting or abusing women, but we cannot be naive. We can't be naive about the culture we live in. I believe that we can change our culture, but it won't be something that happens overnight. It reminded me a lot. I've read this book when I was in high school that I probably didn't get to call. I I don't even remember the name of it, but it was sort of like, it was sort of a, um, she was a proponent of modesty basically like, you know, and it was a very sort of feminist argument for modesty. And, um, like this is a very controversial conversation within the feminist movement, within women themselves and among women themselves. I think a lot about the book we read for our book club exit West in which, um, Part of the couple, the woman who who is the main character in the book, um, grows up in a Middle Eastern society and wears um, full covering, a full um, burqa. And despite very liberal views towards sex and sexuality, and she does it basically sort of she feels like it allow it gives her freedom. It gives her freedom to be taken seriously and to move and it's, it sort of offers protection. And, you know, I think it is. I, 
I guess we just have to allow space for both people. I do think that for the most part, this, this conversation becomes the only path to freedom is to be as sexually free as you want to be and as you can be. And we only, we sort of present that as the only option. And I don't think it's an accident that that's presented as the best path forward because it aligns so closely with consumer society and the entertainment industry and people who make a profit off telling women that, you know, this post feminist, like, Feminism means you can buy whatever you want and you can dress as sexy as you want and you can buy as many high heel shoes as you want. And I mean, I think that that is a complicated alignment of interest that we need to talk about critically. And I think that's what she's trying to do in this editorial. And I'm not saying it's not a difficult conversation, but I do think it's an important one because I think that so often in my life when I've looked and thought, well, I should be able to wear this and I should be able to um, look however I want. It really wasn't my, I didn't want to wear that. And I didn't want to look that way deep down. There was no benefit to me other than people valuing me because of my appearance. You know what I mean? Like I, I have a lot of friends that are like, Oh, I just really love this. Cause I just love this product. or I just love this process. I just love it. And I, I don't want to just kind of be like, do you really love it? Think carefully. Like, in a perfect world in which nobody gave two this is what you looked like, this is what you'd spend your time and money on. Like, so I, I, I get where she's coming from. I do. And I know it's a hard, complicated conversation, but I do think it's one we need to have. I don't know. I come back to you're damned if you do and damned if you don't all the time. Absolutely. You, um, you need to smile because of all the reasons people tell women they need to smile. But then if you smiled too much and then you report that you were harassed, you're told, you well, you smiled at him. It seemed like an invitation. And I feel like every situation is like that for women. I think there is so much baggage associated with thinking of yourself in the terms that uh, Maya Bialik describes in this article when you decide early in life I'm not pretty or someone decides for you, you're not pretty. And so you have to develop these other traits in yourself. And I don't know that we are culturally competent enough to have this conversation in a healthy way right now. It's not that I think anything you said is wrong. I just don't know that we have the maturity and the language and the freedom around women to sit down and have that discussion without creating worse conditions and a lot of hurt for people who've, who are already struggling to say something happened to me that was wrong. I'll tell you anecdotally, um, in my life, the women, women who grew up being the pretty one from a very young age carried a huge psychological burden because of it. I think that Glennon Doyle has an amazing conversation about this one of the best I've heard with Oprah on the Super Soul Conversations about what it was like to be pretty, little and pretty from a young age. And she sort of talks about the psychic toll that took on her. And, you know, I, in my own life, you know, look, I wear makeup. I do my hair. I don't wear high heels for the most part because I find them torturous. But, um, you know, I, it's not that I don't engage in sort of beauty culture or what I would argue is a sexist culture that values women because of their looks. I just think that there is a lot of room to critique it. And I think that that does, but it's so hard because we have told women that your value is based on how you look. And so 
when you go after that, some of the hardest pushback you get is from women. And I, but I do think that what she did here is important because I do think within the entertainment industry particular, because it is such an intense manifestation of this part of our culture, there is a space regarding Harvey Weinstein to talk about like, let's be honest, he was able to exploit the situation in particular because of this industry. I don't think it's shocking to say that the entertainment industry is built on the sexual objectification of women and that he flourished and Bill Cosby flourished in that particular environment because of that culture, because there were so many offers of I'll get you noticed. I'll get you signed. I'll get you. I mean, Bill Cosby did the same exact thing. And when, you know, it's just, it's such a toxic environment that it's not quite like what you see. It's like, it's like an extreme version of the culture that pervades all of our society. And so I think it does present an opportunity to say, look at what happens. Like this is, this is what happens in the extreme when there's such a power differential between people in particular, when that power differential revolves around the objectification of women. I think that's true. I also think I, I loved Glennon Doyle's conversation with Oprah about being pretty. It was eye opening for me because that's t- was not so my good. life experience. So yeah. That's interesting. I mean, what I thought when I heard it is every woman who's not pretty has a version of this baggage too. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know women who didn't very early, you know, the women I know in a deep way, every one of us very early on were defined in some way by our looks and made life decisions accordingly. I think I've told the story on the podcast before of the kid who, when we were in, I don't know, first or second grade, told me that I would be really pretty if I weren't so smart. <laughs> and they're not told nothing- that story. And that is amazing. Yeah. And, and listen, that wrote itself on my brain. There are lots of things in my life that I could be remembering other than that. And I don't, but I remember that. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the feeling in my gut when he said that. Um, and so I think that we all, we all have this baggage in one way or another. And I respect Maya Bialik very much for the way that she expresses the experience that she's had in Hollywood. And I do think that there is as much power in her deciding to go down a path that is explicitly not sexual as there is power in the women who claim their sexuality and move forward. And we got to be open to that. Absolutely. I also think we have to be careful because those conversations can so quickly feel to women who have been abused like they are complicit in their abuse. And I know that was not her intention. And I also know that it can be interpreted that way. And it's so hard. How do you talk about a culture that's complicit in abuse without people feeling like that? You know, I don't know. That's what's so difficult. That is what's so difficult. And it's so, you know, it's all, there's so many shades of this. Like I think Lena Dunham is really interesting because she has claim sexuality in such an explicit way, but with, with such a, um, with a body and a look that is the, you know, antithesis of what people tell you 
that should be claiming that sort of sexuality, which is why I love her. I mean, the first time she walked naked down the middle of a scene in the girls, I still remember it vividly because it felt like everything changed. I felt like the earth underneath me shifted. It was so powerful to see someone with a body that looked more like the bodies I saw on a daily basis um, do that. So I do think there's power in that experience. It's just, you know, it's there's so many different um, ways in which we experience this culture. Like I had such a different experience because I was defined by my looks, but not in an explicitly beautiful or not beautiful way. Red hair defined me, but at different times of my life, it was either a good or bad thing. It was either something to be made mm-hmm. fun of or something to be valued. So it's kind of this weird walk. And when I was posting the Me Too um, meme that's going around Facebook where you say I was sexually harassed or sexually assaulted, and I thought about the times I was sexually harassed and sort of the ways in which I reacted to them. In particular, in college, I had a, a student yell sexually explicit things to me and down a hallway in front of a bunch of other people. And I reported him to the administration and I felt confirmed in my voice. I felt like I was heard. I felt like he... um got the punishment he deserved in, in that it wasn't explicit punishment. It was just, we need to talk about this. These are, you have this, these many hours of community service or whatever he got. I don't even really remember, but being told explicitly like, this is not okay. Um, and I felt very like sort of confirmed, which I realize is probably not how most people's sexual harassment <laughs> situations play out. Um, so it's just, you know, I think that you take the culture, you take every individual's experience and you have this, very tangled web to sort out. And it's very difficult. And I thought that, you know, you have to read that into her editorial as well. It's, it's a culture, it's her explicit individual experience, but I did think she added to the conversation. Should we compliment the other side? I feel like we could spend hours on this conversation. Definitely. Yeah. Sure. We have a lot more to say today. Go ahead. You start. I don't know if I'm complimenting the other side or not, but I'm complimenting someone who would not normally enter my sphere of my sphere of consciousness. Okay, so I I don't make any um, predictions about what this person's politics are, but I read this wonderful piece from Politico about Cameron Gordon, who was an NFL player and is now at the age of 26 training to be a police officer. And Politico interviewed him about the take a knee situation in the NFL. And I thought it was a very nuanced interview. He talked about seeing all of this from the eyes of a police officer now and also seeing it from the eyes of a player and through the eyes of a black person in America and his interest in protecting people's rights and his interest in being part of changing communities and bringing peace to communities. And I thought everything about it was wonderful. And for all of those out there who say, you know, NFL players don't contribute to our society, they just take all of this money and should be grateful for it. I would challenge them to read about this young man and what he is doing with his life now, because I think it's fantastic. It's awesome. I just said young man about somebody who's 26 because I'm getting old. (laughs) 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 Um, I am going to compliment Jim Mattis. There was a really interesting article um, in the Washington Post called Inside the Adult Daycare about how people manage Trump. And they talked about how he's done such a good job of um, walking the line between being honest with the president um, and but also not using particularly... um, overt praise like he was the only one in that one cabinet meeting who wasn't like you are so fabulous and i am so blessed to serve you um (laughs) and just that he has been able to 
manage and represent the people um, of the Department of Defense fairly in the interest of America fairly without having to play this gross game Donald Trump forces other people to play. So good job, Jim, Jim, Jim Mattis. So next up, we're going to talk about nuanced relationships and whether we can love each other despite our political differences. Spoiler alert. The answer is yes, we can. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy.
received an email from Chelsea who said that her views lean left, but she's always been open-minded and she appreciates different perspectives. She even agrees with me occasionally, although she describes her natural state as sharing Sarah's righteous fury. (laughs) She said in her message to us that the idea of romantic involvement with someone who voted for Trump is, for lack of a better phrase, romantically repugnant. (laughs) And that she can't imagine sharing the same values with someone who voted for Trump. But she has dear friends who did, and they're still dear friends. She's just trying to figure out if she should draw a distinction between those friends and a potential life partner. And then she sent us this little story in her email. I recently had a date with a guy where we shared if we had any dating deal breakers. After answering him that, no, I'm not a vegetarian, he tentatively asked, hey, are you a liberal? I said, yes, I am. And in fact, that might be one of my deal breakers. And he seemed a little surprised. He said it's not necessarily a deal breaker for him. And I confess that it would be really difficult for me to be with a Trump supporter. He said he isn't really a Trump supporter, but he supports change and what this administration will hopefully accomplish, which I think might be worse. He ended up saying, let's just agree not to talk about it. But obviously that won't work for me. Some people aren't politically inclined, but that's not for me. And as you've mentioned on your podcast, I don't think it's a luxury people can afford anymore. I guess I feel like dating is hard enough, but now there is a whole other factor to consider. I'm trying not to feel guilty about what I'm looking for in a partner when I pride myself on being an open and understanding person. I'm not sure if any of your other listeners feel this way, but I truly value your perspective and would love to hear it and any other random dating advice you have if you'd be willing to share. So we decided that this would be a great time to talk with listeners who are in Houses Divided and see what their advice looks like. So I've been with my husband since I was 19 years old, so I won't be offering any dating advice, but I do have um, several friends that are in nuanced relationship, one of which is a listener we talk about a lot on the podcast, my friend Leslie, um, who I went to law school with at And it was during law school that she met her husband, Taylor. So we got on the phone and talked about how they met and what it means to be in a nuanced relationship. Let's do something that we're not going to have from some of the other listeners. Why don't you tell us, um, tell the listeners y'all's story about how you got together. Oh, our story, or do you want us to tell stories about how we knew you in law school and embarrass you in front of all your listeners? <laughs> um, that's fine, too, but mainly about the two of you. Mm. Um, so we met in law school, um, and we both grew up in California and then went to law school in D.C., and so I spotted him on day one because he looked like a California surfer, and he was. And, um, so I was immediately, all the California kids kind of hung out in a little pack because we were so cold and everybody was so mean to us. And so we hung out a lot then in the beginning and just sort of became best friends pretty quickly, I would say, um, in law school. And then we sort of started dating then. Right, Taylor? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'll interrupt. I'm sure you'll. I'll interrupt when I need to interrupt. I'm pretty sure I can jump in. (laughs) So you bonded over uh, something that you had in common, which was being from California, which is deserving of mocking Mm -hmm. in my professional Kentuckian opinion. But that aside, Mm -hmm. um, so you dated in law school, got married, 
have three boys. And then Donald Trump came. How has Donald Trump taxed your relationship? Let's get ahead. It's up. Oh, well, um, we should say, wait, actually, we should say, like, where, where you guys fall out on the political spectrum. And when did you actually, let's back up. So when okay. did you okay. realize that he was not a California liberal like you and sort of how you guys shook out mm. politically? Uh, very early. That was, you know, our law school was mainly um, liberal and he was one of the few conservatives um, at the school. And I feel like some of our very first conversations were about that and we would debate. And um, so I, I knew that he was conservative and um, that was, I mean, like our first year, we knew that and everybody knew that sort of, there was only a few conservatives in our, in our class that I can remember. Um, so he was kind of the novelty then. <laughs> and then now we're in Orange County where I get to see the novelty. So did either um, of you think when you first like realize like, ugh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm up for somebody that feels so differently than I do. Yeah. I would oh, yeah, say no, for, yeah, we all to say that we like, we didn't like date throughout law school as if we were like, dating exclusively, we kind of came together and came apart a lot of times. And a lot of it was a struggle over um, some differences that we had that we didn't really see a way around at that point, you know, kind of, I think there was a lot of um, naivete. Maybe we just kind of thought, well, we're different. And also like, I'm, uh, I would say very liberal and he is was at the time still is i don't you guys have always been uh, figuring out where you're at at this point well the thing is i uh i would say i am conservative but i also would say currently the republican party is not that conservative it's Mm -hmm. uh more nationalist so i think i've stayed roughly the same i i was originally uh libertarian when i you know was younger uh and then was uh you know conservative, but then uh, not much has changed. Just the party has really changed a lot since, you know, over the past 20 years. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't, there isn't really anybody in the Republican party that I agree with all the time. You know, occasionally they, uh, occasionally they get some things right. And a lot of times they get things wrong. They spend too much. They like big government a lot more than they should for people that, allegedly believe what they believe. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm sort of without a party right now, even though I would say I'm uh, conservative in the more textbook sense. So, Taylor, you tell us... He reminds me so much of Beth. <laughs> What's that? Said he, your political views, whenever Beth's talking about her place in the party, I'm like, I, I know someone else just like you. <laughs> So, Taylor, when you realized that um, Leslie was very different politically than you, still hilarious, still awesome, but very liberal. Like, did you have a, mm-hmm. that she says that you guys kind of had these like ongoing debates and sort of backing away and then scooting back in and backing away and scooting back in. And what was sort of what was in your mind as you were sort of working through that process? Well, it was an interesting time because we were in law school, so we were had become friends and were hanging out, but then it was also just 
we would study together, but we were sort of super flirty. That's what it was. Lost, I was there. It was super was flirty. <laughs> right. Super flirty, but also we were focused more on law school, you know, and so it sort of uh, only occasionally do we have time to really, you know, you know, actually hang out or go on dates if we were going to be going on dates. So it was, um, I don't know, we just sort of grew closer just through, um, just as we were hanging out. So sort of just in the background, we just sort of grew closer. I don't know so to, maybe that's interesting. You know, a lot of the girls that have written to us about this, young women um, are talking about like in an online dating space where everything is on the pressure to decide, like, do I want to go on another date with this person? Mm. Do I want to spend time with this person? But in a law school environment, like the way you guys got to know each other. And I would be curious. I would, I would think this maybe would, sh- would um, surf this sort of same situation would surface in the other relationships, which is you were just spending time together. There wasn't all this pressure to decide, are we going to date or are we not? Because we don't see each other. Otherwise you're spending time to each other and you have time in those spaces just sort of to build a relationship, a friend relationship, a companion relationship, an intellectual relationship outside of the confines of deciding whether you want to go on another date or not. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think if it was like, yeah. And if it was, you know, if you had showed me a list of all the things Taylor, you know, subscribed to without ever meeting him, I probably would have also, and same him for me, like been like, oh, I would never. You would have swiped left or right or whatever way you're supposed to swipe. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, once you get to know someone and this is true for everybody, right? Like there's always common ground. And, um, but in a dating situation where you have all the facts about people ahead of time now, you know, you, you have, too much information before you meet someone. It's so easy to eliminate people from a dating pool because they don't have everything on paper. That's right. But Taylor and I weren't right on paper, but we were right for each other, you know? So, I mean, I I don't know how, how people are deciding. It's a tough position. I imagine, especially in this current environment to try and forge relationships with people outside of your comfort zone of, you know, of things that you're used to or whatever, but at least back in the good old days of 2004, (laughs) 2004, 2007, we managed to figure it out. So in that process, when you talked about sort of like you would, you would sort of back away from each other and think maybe this is too big of a mountain to climb, or this is too big of a hurdle. Mm -hmm. Like what was, what got you back and what finally, do you remember like a certain point or was it just a slow process that finally you're like, maybe this isn't as big of a deal as I thought it was. What do you think, Taylor? <laughs> I know. Hmm. I don't know. She's, she, I think she's growing on me. Still, she's still growing on oh me. Oh my God. I just took a drink <laughs> we'll of tea we'll when there. he said that. <laughs> I, you know, there was, I still remember we went, to two Amy's for pizza one time and sort of was like, we had sort of decided like it was over um, because we couldn't figure out how we would ever raise kids being so that we were on such different, you know, things. And I just remember thinking like that all made sense at the time. Like, and then now that we have kids, those things are not as important as we thought they were. And they weren't like, they weren't even things about like, how, what we would do to raise our kids. It was just beliefs that we had that were different than each other. 
And I think maybe in that environment in law school in D.C. where you're surrounded by politics and surrounded by everybody, intellectuals talking about stuff all the time, it seems so important. And it did to us, too. And I think really truthfully, I think at some point we were like, oh, is it like just okay to disagree about these things that are very important to both of us? But to be like, he'd be like, well, I just think it should be up to the state. And I'd be like, well, and I think the federal government should decide. And I'd be like, hey, is that okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I just remember having that realization was like, oh, I can live with you wanting it to be up to the states and me wanting, me thinking the federal government has a better idea, you know? Yeah. And at least for me, that was one big turning point where I was just like, we can, we can, we're, no one's ever going to try and change each other's mind on all these things, but we really can still be together and have disagreements about things. And so what a concept, who knew? I don't know. So have you guys, so how changed- are you guys feeling about your big, how are you guys feeling about your big government? Now that you oh, have a that's what Beth always that. says. <laughs> that's what Beth always says. The executive oh, yeah, order is like, what do you think good, about uh, a Trump executive burn. order? Oh, it's brutal. So what have you have you guys changed your minds on anything because of your relationships together? Politically, I mean. Um No. I don't think so. <laughs> you Taylor, you have. What about what about what have I changed my mind on? Well, I don't I mean, I think there are things, <laughs> there are certain I don't want to necessarily want to call you out on certain I don't know that I I'm not saying I changed your mind I'm just saying over time your some of your views have evolved and some maybe votes that you made you wouldn't necessarily make now um and you know I'm not saying that's my influence I'm just saying over time and maybe getting to know other different people has changed your mind I think that's a compliment I always tell people like if you get a tattoo in high school that's still relevant to your life and for at 40, I think you might be doing some things wrong. I'm just saying. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, here's my other question. I am constantly shamed for my vote. Oh, go ahead. What con- constantly- I was going to say I did change my mind about, well, he shames me all the time for my vote on the high-speed train in California as an example <laughs> of me just wanting to spend money on things that I want. And I'm like, so it's not like a shopping list. I can't just say that I want this thing. <laughs> we have to pay for it. What's <laughs> wrong with the high speed so train? Like, what? It, it, it's old technology spending money we don't have on the thing we don't need. Mm. It, you know, well, okay. there's need is, uh, you know, I mean, um, we maybe need That's it. That's what I say. I'm going to get some emails from Californians about it. that for sure. So the other thing that oh, a lot yeah. of the other couples talked about was that they felt like their views were sharpened. Like they had to really think through why to argue with someone that you're in a relationship Mm -hmm. with about politics really sharpens your viewpoint. And you have to be very clear about why you feel the way you do and the reasons that you feel that way. Do you guys feel like that? Yeah. Have you, I do. Well, I would say also being married to a lawyer, uh, Mm. really like, you know, sometimes, uh, (laughs) sometimes I just want to like rant about the news or whatever. And then I feel like I'm being cross-examined, but it's helpful (laughs) because it's like, well, who said that? Where did they say it? No way. He actually threw paper towels. Do you have video? (laughs) (laughs) That is an ongoing, that's an ongoing joke we have where 
I get, I walk in the door. It's like, did you see what happened? Uh, <laughs> no. And then she'll say something. They're like, well, see, that's not true. That's, there's no way that actually happened. That's just <laughs> absurd. What sort of absurd, absurd world are we living in where that could be? And then it is true. Oh, man. <laughs> and it yeah, is true. And then it's name any of the things that he's done since he's been president. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about yeah. you have a relationship in which this other person is a, from a different political persuasion and you've found this equilibrium and you found a space in which you can listen and disagree respectfully. And then it's time to elect a president specifically the presidential races between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, then what happens? Well, the Republicans never really had any good candidates, which was the problem. And then, you know, as Trump was starting to pull ahead, that was when I was just uh, washing my hands of them um, and sort of hoping that maybe uh, Kasich or even Ted Cruz, which is an insane thing to say, would uh, <laughs> start play spoiler and um, uh, get the nomination or somehow at the convention. But, uh, yeah, it's just uh, I don't know what the Republicans were uh, were doing other than wanting to gain a presidency and then not know what to do with it. Did you feel mm-hmm. and did at, did you feel sort of responsible as a republican did you feel like leslie was blaming you for previous support of a party that would produce this like was there any like serious conflict with regard as he became more as it became more and more likely that he was going to win no i didn't uh i didn't do anything i don't think she ever uh was was uh trying to to take the entire weight of the republican party and put it on my shoulders i don't I don't think she ever tried to do that. That would be, a, that would be on impressive. Him. On others. So. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, there, there became, I would say, in normal election years, Taylor and I um, go to our own corners, you know? It's like supporting, different, like, you go, there is a little bit of a divide during election years normally, where, you know, we kind of do our own thing, and it's a little bit touchy sometimes about who we, you know, if you're rooting for one person or the other or whatever. And this time I would say it brought us closer really because this election brought up so many different issues and we were on the same side of almost all of them in terms of just what's reasonable to expect an elected official to do and how to expect them to behave. He wasn't for one second an apologist for Donald Trump, for his brand of know nothing politics, for his, you know, sexual assault glorification. I mean, he wasn't, there wasn't one. Yeah, it was so crazy. Was. I was like, Hey, Leslie, where, Hey, Leslie, where do you stand on pussy grabbing? And she's like, I guess I'm like, no way. Oh, how is, that is crazy. Uh, I guess we agree. Uh, <laughs> so we were going to have yeah. a, a rousing debate over whether or not it's okay. I just, who knew? Okay. So, yeah, so in I here, would say we were really, mm-hmm. no, go ahead. We, um, I think it really brought us closer in terms of I felt so much more respect for the Republicans that I knew who um, stood up against him, against his brand of politics, against saying this isn't what the Republican Party stands for. And I became so supportive of those. I felt so much closer to those people who would say, like, this isn't how it should be. You know, the Kasichs Mm -hmm. and the Evan McMullins and those and my husband and others like him who I found so much more common ground with them that 
the differences that we have normally felt smaller. And I felt like, I felt like that Hillary would win and, and that the, this terrible brand of Republican politics would die and a new brand would rise up that was reasonable and conservative and we'd go back to having real debate. Aww. And that did not happen. That did not happen. But it sounds so beautiful yo. when you describe it. I know. And it's gotten so much worse. And then there were those people who were never Trumpers who then flipped and voted for him. And I still, I don't know what to do with that, mm. <laughs> with that feeling that I have towards those people, because it's, it's tough, you know, and Taylor's family is mainly conservative. My family is mainly conservative. And there's been some tension. I think all families feel that if you have divided people, you know, it's um, this watching this force being forced to reckon with this all the time is really exhausting and tense. And it's, you know, it's tough going out there. That's what another couple um, that wrote it, that, that spoken um, said is that one of the biggest source of conflicts is disagreement within their family. Elise said a very similar thing. We're going to share her thoughts right here. Hi, Sarah and Beth. This is Elise from North Carolina. Huge fan of the show. Thank you so much for bringing nuance and rationality to so many important conversations. I definitely know the importance of that in my own marriage. Uh, My husband and I have been married for five years, and we both come from very religiously and politically conservative families. We both kind of grew into our own space and belief structure in college and the years after, Um, but my faith has really led me toward more progressive politics, um, while my husband has stayed a lot closer to our roots. So we joke that on election day, we're typically just canceling out each other's votes, which is fine, if occasionally frustrating. I've had people ask, particularly in the last year or so, how we can still have a good relationship when we disagree politically. And to me, that's just a completely ridiculous question that reflects a much bigger problem we're having in America right now. You know, my husband and I are not defined as individuals by our political beliefs. I'm very engaged, very passionate about politics, but that's not the entirety of who I am as a person. I'm also a wife, a professor, a family member, a friend. You know, I have all these interests um, that exist outside of my political interests and beliefs. And the same is true with my husband. He is so much more than his political beliefs. And I get to see his heart and where he's coming from on a daily basis. And so there's no question for me that, just like with the two of you, our differences lie not in the end goal, but in the road that we think is best to get there. Our biggest struggle in keeping it nuanced definitely comes from time with our families. We both believe that there are times when keeping the peace and maintaining good relationships overrides starting a political debate, but a lot of times we disagree on where that line is. So when a family member makes uh, an inappropriate or offensive comment, even unwittingly, I'm a lot more likely to call it out kindly and respectfully but I'm not just going to let it go. Uh, I believe that change in our country starts in those small moments. Whereas my husband, not that he doesn't think change happens there, but he would just rather um, ignore it and just keep moving and not make waves. So that's definitely a struggle for us to balance. Uh, You can imagine we are really looking forward to the upcoming holiday season. Um, So all that to say, we don't have it all figured out, but we are trying to keep it nuanced both in our marriage and our other relationships as well. And we really appreciate you guys helping us and so many others walk that path with extra doses of grace and trustworthy information. So keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it.
Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. So... You have found this amazing path together. I think that um, as I was listening to all these different couples, I thought like, man, like these relationships. I remember reading a New York Times article that said um, that interracial couples offer us a real path forward as a nation in our racial conflict. And I thought, man, some of these couples offer uh, also offer us sort of a path forward and a way to look 
at the polarization in our country through a different lens and through instead of treating each other like the enemy, we can look to these couples and families where they do it every day. And I think that's true. But I think there's also a really mm-hmm. hard um, conversation to have now that you talked about you have you have three beautiful boys. So what happens as they get older and they have questions and you start having conversations about politics like let's be real leslie like what's what happens if your oldest son says mom i'm with dad i'm gonna be a republican how you can feel then well you saw lincoln in his blazer it seems like he's uh, closer (laughs) on that path (laughs) um (laughs) um the you know i was raised by a republican and a democrat um, my dad is a Republican and my mom's a Democrat. And I would say um, that I can remember um, feeling like I had to choose, mm-hmm. feeling like I had to figure it out. And what a gift that is, I think, honestly. Like, I don't think you should be born into a political party. I think right. that it's something that you should learn about and actually pick and engage with, you know? And so. I remember taking a quiz. I actually in high think. Uh, oh, go ahead. I want to. I want to disagree slightly here. I actually really have a problem with the idea that politics or everything needs to be a binary issue. Mm, uh, it's not a either side. They're really. I think it's one of the biggest problems right now. Is people have persisted persisted in this idea that it's us versus them, and now all of a sudden you have someone who's largely indefensible. And you have a lot of people really breaking their backs, trying to find a way to say that what he's doing is okay Mm -hmm. because they don't want to agree with the other side. And so there's hopefully what this is going to what's going to happen with this uh, point in history is people realize like, oh, I can pick and choose issues. I can believe this Mm -hmm. and I can I can a la carte look at every issue independently and make a rational decision. And I don't have to toe the party line. The. The only way, the only people that have to toe a party line is if you're actually a member of Congress and it's a matter of, uh, you know, log rolling to get done what you need to get done. But if you're a citizen uh, in any given state, that's not your job. It's not your job to toe the party line. You need to believe what you believe uh, and and do some diligence every election and see where you match up. But and what's important. (laughs) But uh, I I think that's what I'm going to press upon the. The kids is you have to think critically about every issue, uh, and it doesn't matter if you agree with someone on one issue. That doesn't mean you agree with them on everything. Mm. Uh, so I think I would push them to uh, to try to not fall into that binary trap. So true. See, yeah. already offering the path forward. What were you going to say about the quiz in high school, Leslie? Um, I took a quiz because I didn't know what political party I was supposed to be. And a lot of my friends did because they were whatever their parents were. And it was an issues based quiz. Like he was saying, like it was looking at this thing and this thing and looking at the quiz. I remember it being, um, at different approaches, like willingness to, um, I don't, I don't know, just a different like way to look at it. It wasn't like, do you agree with this or that? It was, I don't know. It was a really interesting way to look at it. And I just remember, for getting the results, it was basically like 100% Democrat. So, like, I totally agree. What I meant by choose is, like, I had to decide who I was going to vote for, right? It was getting close to me being able to vote. And um, that was always pressed upon me as being really important by both my parents. So I 
I just felt like I really needed to invest in figuring out what was important to me and trying to understand of the two parties, which one was closer aligned with things that I cared about. And I just, I, I know that's pretty rare, honestly, for people to come at it at a, at in a, in a middle ground and just say, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. Nobody's telling me I'm supposed to be somewhere. And, you know, I, I align so closely with the democratic party and I have voted mainly party line my whole life. I only cross cross streams if there's a woman I want to vote for in the Republican <laughs> Party. But. You were getting ready to vote for uh, Ted Cruz, right? I absolutely was. I I was so um, incensed by the rise of Donald Trump that I was going to register as a Republican in California and vote for Ted Cruz in order to try and stop him. And that's in, that's that's an insane place to be. That's a weird thing to feel, but such was my fear of what would happen if he became president. Not unfounded. Well, I was going to say, seems out. to be pretty founded. Well, and I think that that's such a good point you guys raise in that, that these families, and really, like you said, it's all family. There are very few families that don't have somebody in them that feels differently. At least I hope not. And that it presents this opportunity to really approach it as, you know, sort of what we're always talking about, which is to engage with politics instead of just to consume the conflict. And, you know, I remember mm-hmm. saying this to my mom at once, like about growing up in church and saying, I wish that church had been approached more as a conversation and not sort of just edicts that we listen to every Sunday and never ha- and never talked about. Well, how do you feel about that? Do you agree? Do you not agree? It was never even presented as something I could agree or disagree with. And I think in so many families, politics is the same way. It's not a conversation. Um, it's just, this is what, it, this right. is the reality, but in a relationship and a family like yours in which there is a constant conversation because the two, um, the, the two partners feel differently. It does present an opportunity for the children to see, com- to see politics as a conversation as opposed to like a team sport. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, um, it's pretty interesting to, to see how <laughs> sort of how we've, shooken up some of our groups that we were in. I mean, I think that it's, um, sometimes I think about my role as the only liberal that some people know. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I'm I think sure about it a lot. Too. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of that is just trying to be friends with people and never talking about politics because you know that it's like not something that would be comfortable, but doesn't it still matter, you know, that you can be friends and that when they're talking about, all liberals or all Republicans or all somebody taken down doing something terrible, you can say, don't you mean most? Don't you mean everybody but me? Because yeah. you see me and I'm like a normal person and yep. you yep. love my kids and you think I'm funny on Facebook. Right? You and are like very Taylor funny King, on you know, Facebook, in, Leslie. In our liberal... <laughs> yeah, true. You know, Taylor in our liberal crowds in D.C. was, was sort of the token conservative yeah. there. And I feel like... it. But I feel like it was a really valuable thing to have somebody, you know, willing to be there to be the one that you like, is like, hey, I heard this thing about conservatives. Is that true? You know, and they be like, no, that's not true. We don't, you know, we don't yeah. do satanic rituals like every Tuesday. <laughs> it's Thursday. <laughs> oh. 
No, I think that that is true. And I think it is such an important thing, especially as we insist on self-sorting. Um, one of our friends from law school just moved to from D.C. to Missouri. And I, th- I said, I'm going to claim you as my first success as a convincing a Democrat to move back to a red state. So you must ins- I don't care what actually happens. The, the part the party line at this point is everything's happy and awesome. And moving to a red state was the best thing you've ever done, because I think it's so important <laughs> that we not self-sort anymore. Well, thank you, yeah. Fosses, for joining us and sharing about your nuanced relationship, one that um, is very dear to my heart, as I've seen I've seen it from its inception to now and one of my favorite families to be around. So thanks for coming on Pansy Politics, guys. Emily also had some really cool insight about how being married to her husband, Matt, really strengthens her political beliefs. Hey, ladies. I'm a big fan of the show, and I just want to call in to tell you that I am in a divided household. My name is Emily, and I'm about to marry my fiancé, Matt, this Saturday. Um, And we've always had very different political views. You know, in some ways, it's been really hard. I would say we probably almost broke up when, during the 2012 election, me for Obama, him for Romney. But overall, I've come now to appreciate that we have opposing views because it makes me a better and more nuanced person. Um, he forces me to to sharpen my views and develop a better opinion. You know, I need to come to a discussion with him armed with my facts behind why I believe a certain thing because he's not just going to give me a free pass um, to think. And we get in some of the most interesting debates about about policy because of that. Um, and then I think he also makes me have more compassion, understand a different side of the story um, that I would normally miss. So in general, it, you know, it, it's tricky, but I've come to see it as a good thing at this point. And I'm excited to spend my life with him. So congrats to Emily and Matt on their recent marriage. And I talked with another listener who wanted to remain anonymous about a a marriage that, for the most part, they're on the same page, but there are some very hot button issues in their marriage because her husband is a police officer and his experience as a police officer has really kind of hardened his perspective and and increased the emotion around certain issues. And so they just have made those issues off limits. And in addition, we heard from Catherine, who is more liberal and is with a more conservative um, partner. And they've had some dicey issues lately. And she said it kind of came to a head following the NFL protests. And she's come up with sort of an action plan for their relationship that I thought we could share, Sarah, and then maybe reflect a little bit on all these conversations together. So Catherine's action plan is that they're going to ensure that their conversations are more formal so that they're not having like gotcha kind of moments about the news. Maybe that means sitting at the kitchen table. They've realized that when they touch one another, they tend to be more respectful. So I think that's interesting advice all around. Um, and then she said that they're going to have a format where they re-express the other person's position. So they make sure they understand each other. List any points of agreement, even if they are small points, because that lets especially him know that he's being heard and that they do have some things in common. 
talk about anything they've learned from each other, and then provide any kind of rebuttal or criticism. And so I thought that was a really, I think that format kind of marries nicely with what we try to do when we talk, Sarah, you know, that you walk first into the agreement and second into what you've learned and then say, here are points of departure. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, these applications, just because, just exactly like us, I mean, obviously we're in a relationship, but not a married relationship. And so they have applications way far beyond remote romantic relationships. But I, what I think is so great is that, um, these couples really offer, like I said with Leslie and Taylor, a path forward, a way for all of us to look how to build relationships across political divides, which I think is not only essential within our relationships, but essential to our future as a country. We we also heard from Deanna, who had a conflict with a close friend about the friend's views on Deanna's sexuality, and her girlfriend actually encouraged her to make space for the friend's perspective, and they worked it out. And I think this is a super big deal because Deanna's email and all of the emails that we've received from listeners and the conversations that we've had. I think circle around the question, what, to what extent is politics a vehicle for our values? And that's a big question. Yeah, because I think that it's really about identity and how much are you going to let someone's political views feel like an assault on your identity? And I read a really amazing article about that. I think I shared on our social media pages about um, how the NRA is so powerful because they've made gun ownership a, a, a issue of identity. And the same can be true of sort of the pro-life movement. And until we can, and I, again, I think these couples offer a way to do that and a path to loosen this death grip we have on identity and this idea that if you feel differently than me, then it's an attack on who I am. It's an attack on the country. You're an enemy. Um, then I'm not really sure how we move forward in conversations and relationships with each other. And if we can loosen some of that and these, you know, look, these people show that there is a path that, that, that these things that you think are so instrumental to who you are can actually, um, become just a topic of conversation and that there is so much more to be found in connection with one another than just how we feel politically about things. I don't know why we elevate the tension in politics more than other issues. Like if I think about long lasting partnerships, there are so many things that are going to come up where you can share values and still have vehement disagreement on what the right execution is. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about how you interact with children, especially around discipline. I think about end of life decisions uh, for yourselves and for relatives. You can both have an ethic of care, but one of you believe that that means placing a parent in a nursing home and one believing that means the parent moves into the basement. And I think those kinds of issues are so much more tied into who we are and how we're going to live every single day than our politics. And so I guess I would encourage Chelsea and anybody else who's struggling with this question to think more about what it's going to feel like brushing your teeth with this person 
and parenting a sick child with this person and caring for a, a relative who has dementia with this person than where you both stand on abortion. I think there is a thread of values through all of that, but, but values can be consistently held and expressed in different forms and politics because most of the time they are pretty remote especially if you have any kind of privilege surrounding your life, you should be able to work through that, right? It's the, it's the intimate family decisions where if you're going to have departures, it becomes a lot thornier and maybe, and this is part of what I love about Catherine's action plan. Maybe learning to do this around politics is a way to get to those future steps, But I think those other decisions, you're constantly reminded that you love each other in the course of making them. And maybe that's the problem with politics. We don't have, we haven't practiced as a country saying, but we love each other. Well, and that we don't have, we don't have a lot of good examples of how we disagree and the world doesn't end. Like, because we don't disagree that much and just move forward with, I think I'm right. I think you're right. But this is an, this is a path forward we can both agree on or just the next step we can both agree on because it just all becomes, Obamacare, all one side, Merrick Garland, all one side. Like there's just not a lot of, um, we see that something happens and we don't all agree, but the world doesn't explode for us to see like, oh yeah, that can, we can move forward and in disagreement with each other. So thank you for everybody for sharing their amazing stories with us. Thanks to Leslie and Taylor for um, having a conversation with me about their marriage and their relationship. And thanks to all the nuanced relationships out, out there showing us a path forward as a country. What's on your mind outside of politics, Sarah? All moving all the time. Boxes, boxes, packing, packing, moving, sorting, getting rid, throwing out, selling, packing, moving. That's my brain right now. What is the most interesting aspect of this process so far? Well, what's actually I've been doing a lot that um, since we've been busting on Facebook a lot, I'll give Facebook a little praise. I've been using Facebook Marketplace every time I hit like there's a, you know, I have a box of like just stuff I'm going to donate. But like when I hit something big, a value that I'm like, I don't need this anymore. I throw it up on Facebook. I make way more money than I would have at a yard sale. I just put it on my front porch. People leave the money in my mailbox and I move on. I've made like a not unsubstantial amount of money selling stuff on Facebook that way so far. It's been pretty great. Do you have any tips for people who've not used Facebook Marketplace before? No, it's pretty easy. They walk you through it. You take a picture, you pick the price, you pick the category. I just copy and paste the description. I try to find the item online and just copy and paste the description from there and um, sell it. It is sometimes frustrating, though, because you'll like get like 30 responses and you're like, man, I priced that too cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, it's been a great solution to like getting rid of stuff as I'm moving. Good for you. That's awesome. What about you? I have been thinking so much about my phone since our conversation last week and how much I'm on my phone. My project this week is unsubscribing. There are some email lists that I'm on that I really value, but there are hundreds that I'm on that I do not really value. Hold up. You've used unroll.me, right? No, I have not. Oh, Tell tell me about unroll.me. Oh, my God. You just go in. You put in your... Um, email address. They pull up all your newsletters. I don't know. 
know if they do to me or it takes them a few days to read your inbox and then you can just click through. They can either they'll roll them up into like one email so you can look at them all at once. They'll you can leave them in your inbox to just come in as usual or you can unsubscribe. But you're talking like click, 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 click. You can unsubscribe from like 150 in like a minute and a half. It's amazing. Okay, I'm doing that. Yeah, it's amazing. And I feel a little sad about some of them, you know, but I've just started asking myself, what really adds value to my life? Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep that. And there are lots of those that are more salesy emails. So I'm not, um, I'm not working with blunt instruments here. Like I'm trying to make thoughtful decisions about email, just like I would about anything else. It feels good to be creating space. I tell you what, every time I get rid of something, it's so true that something better comes into my life because of it. And it almost always feels pretty direct. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, it's, you know, it's, listen, I'm just doing that with physical objects right now. That's what I'm doing as you're packing, right? Everything is like, does this bring value? It's exhausting. <laughs> it's just an exhausting mental exercise to constantly um, be thinking through things in that way. I really... It just is, even whether it's email or whether it's um, casserole dishes, man. I love the quote from Zora Neale Hurston about, am I saying that right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. About how there are years that ask questions and years that answer. Mm, That is a good quote. And I think about that in terms of like months and weeks and days pretty often. And I feel like this is, these are my asking questions days. Yes. And there will be answers because I am asking the questions. Oh, God, I can't wait for us to get to the answer phase because questions make me so tired. So tired. (laughs) Thank you all for joining us for another episode of Pantsy Politics. We will be back with you on Friday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you, as always, to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, Leslie, and Sabrina. You can join us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Pantsu Politics and on Twitter at Pantsu Politic, no S. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to Patreon.com or reviews are always helpful and you can leave one through the Apple Podcast app. Thank you to Dante Lima, the composer of our Pantsu Politics theme music. 